It is very possible that you and others may have a, a little uneasy feeling about changing your position on the timing of the Lord's return. You might say, as others have said, still have a little uneasy feeling. It would seem that perhaps a passage might seem to support the pre-trip position, when in fact it does not. I know that there are those who have taken positions other than the pre-trip position, but you have an uneasy feeling or you waver in your conviction sometimes because of a question that a person might bring up that would appear to support the pre-trip position. Uh, several years ago, I wrote an article entitled Legs to Stand On, where I tried to help individuals understand how critical the pre-wrath position is because of what it does in relationship to the other positions. Simply stated, the pre-wrath position is a balanced and biblical synthesis of pre-, mid-, and post-tribulationalism with the refinement of the timing issue that brings harmony to all of the rapture passages in question. The key word there is synthesis. A synthesis takes the good of each position and combines them for a synthetic view that hopefully takes the strengths of each of the positions, gets rid of the error, and hopefully harmonizes in such a way that the scriptures are easy to understand accurate to understand, and therefore producing a degree, a high degree of certainty that the initial question, in fact, does have a biblical solution. I believe that if those who are seriously interested in the timing of the rapture of the church in relationship to the events of the culmination of human history as we know it, if they would examine the pre-wrath position, they would find that the unquestionable truths of each of the three positions are kept, while the errors that divide the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-tribber have been dis have been discarded. The proponents of these three positions would probably concur that the major area of disagreement concerning the actual timing of the rapture, which they would have to admit also control 
controls their interpretation of many passages that deal with issues related to the rapture question. Each camp on the rapture question has committed followers. Dr. John F. Walvert was an advocate of the pre-tribulational view. I knew the man, spent time in the man's presence, and I certainly believe that he was a committed follower of Jesus Christ, in many respects a giant of the faith. The fact that he believed the church would be uh, will be taken before uh, the seventh week of Daniel begins uh, made him no less an honorable man. Gleason Archer, Dr. Archer, mid-tribulational viewpoint holder, argues for the rapture of the church to occur in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. I have not personally met Dr. Archer, but I have read and utilized his writings. As an Old Testament professor, Dr. Archer has distinguished himself as um, an excellent student of God's word. And the fact that he believes the church will be taken at the midpoint of the seventh week before the quote-unquote great tribulation makes him no less a serious student of the Bible. Dr. Douglas J. Moo endorses a post-tribulation rapture. As a professor of New Testament, Dr. Moo has demonstrated an outstanding mind for New Testament exegesis. The man is, is a brilliant student of the scriptures. The fact that Dr. Moo believes scripture to teach that Christ will return at the end of the 70th week to rapture his church after the quote-unquote great tribulation and after the six trumpets and six bold judgments make him no less a committed follower of Jesus Christ. The number of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who hold to each of the positions stated above are many. Statistically, less than one-tenth of one percent of evangelicalism is holds a mid-trib position. Perhaps 15 to 20 percent of the evangelical community are pre-tribulational. By and large, by and by and large, the farther are the greatest number of adherents to a position are post-tribulational. If we were working basic on the basis of statistics, then of course the post-trib position would win out because more evangelicals hold to that particular position than any or all of the others put together. Logically, it makes sense that the correct position on the timing of Christ's return is some combination of the three major views, given that each view is based on the same passages of Scripture. It is arrogant and illogical uh, to conclude that only one of these positions is absolutely right and the other two are totally wrong in every way.
The fact of the matter is, each position has some truth. The question that each position is attempting to answer concerns the timing of the rapture. This continues to be the irreconcilable difference. Countless, countless hours of time and gallons of ink have been spent in order to prove the other two positions wrong. Scholars continue to search for that one argument that will close the debate, perhaps in favor of their respective positions. The sad result is that the discussions have gotten so trivial and the distinction between words so technical that the average follower of Christ cannot follow the arguments. The price of this continual infighting is, on the one hand, an uneducated laity, convinced that the truth simply cannot be known. On the other hand, committed godly men and women support pre-, mid-, and post-tribulationalism with fierce devotion to their position. For now, the debate is purely esoteric. No real danger exists, for all things continue as before. However, one day there will be a world full of people that will be called upon to be that final generation of humanity to experience the climactic events of history. The old adage that end-time events will all pan out in the end will not be taken so lightly by the generation that must see these things begin to happen. Now, if the pre-wrath position is a balanced and biblical synthesis of pre-, mid-, and post-tribulationalism, and it is, then we should be able to point out very clearly what those particular truths are relative to each of the three positions. However, before we take a look at the strength of the three positions, we should say at the outset that there is a general agreement among pre-, mid-, and post-tribulationists that the Church of Jesus Christ is exempted from the eschatological wrath of God. The eschatological wrath of God is distinguished between the ongoing manifestation of the wrath of God against sin and sinners. Every day, men and women experience God's wrath in lieu of their continual insistence upon sinning and living contrary to the will of God. But there is also going to be a final dramatic outpouring of the wrath of God, and that wrath we call the eschatological wrath, or that last time, end time wrath of God, which will be so much more greater in its focus and emphasis against the wicked on the earth. All 
three positions believe that the church is exempted from the coming wrath of God. Post-tribbers, mid-tribbers, and pre-tribbers alike all interpret passages such as 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 as unmistakably asserting that believers are promised to be delivered from the eschatological wrath of God. The problem our problems begin in light of this fact. Precisely, what is the wrath of God and when does it occur? And what method will God use to deliver his people? Will he remove them out of the world or merely protect them while in the world? To illustrate the eschatological positions, I have utilized the image of a chair, a chair that has four legs. And these four legs are the biblical foundations for the notion or idea that Jesus Christ is going to return and evacuate his people off of this earth to heaven. The correct eschatological position must give the seat the support it needs, four solid legs. For the chair to be complete, reliable, practical, and most importantly, biblical. The pre-trip position in our estimation, has nothing going for it but a seat. That is, it believes in a rapture position. That is, that we are exempted from the eschatological wrath of God. That is the basis of all rapture positions that we have been exempted. That is the base. Pre-tribbers accept the fact that the Church of Jesus Christ is exempted from the eschatological wrath of God, which all positions maintain. However, every other element of the pre-trib position has no explicit biblical basis. The flaw of the pre-trip position is the insistence that the entire 70th week of Daniel is the direct wrath of God, thereby requiring the church to be raptured off or out of this world before the 70th week begins. Unfortunately, for the pre-trip position, there is no incontrovertible biblical support that says the entire 70th week of Daniel is the wrath of God. Perhaps this is why Dr. John Walvert 
wrote some years ago, neither post-tribulationalism nor pre-tribulationalism is an explicit teaching of Scripture. The pre-trib position, in reality, does not have a single leg to stand on. The 70th week of Daniel is not purely a Jewish week. If the destruction of Jerusalem can occur during the church age in 70 AD, and it did, then the church can and will encroach upon the seventh week of Daniel. To draw the line as pre-tribbers do, that God cannot and does not work with both national Israel and the church during the same dispensation, to draw that distinction is purely arbitrary. It simply does not have biblical support. And it can be proven to be untrue so easily. If God does not mix dispensations as the pre-tribbers teach, then how do you explain the destruction of Jerusalem 35 years after the church began. It was a prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24 about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jews, yet it was fulfilled during the church age. That is clearly an exception to the pre-trib notion that God does not mix the dispensations. If God can discipline Israel during the church age, then it would seem to me that he can also deliver the church uh, during the quote-unquote Jewish age if one holds that the 70th week of Daniel is a part of the Jewish dispensation. This is what pre-tribbers teach, that God is going to end the church age and resume the Jewish age of which there remains seven final years. And during this resumption of the Jewish age, according to pre-tribbers, God must rapture the church away before he resumes the Jewish age. That sounds good, and it certainly does help maintain a distinction between national Israel, ethnic Israel, and the church, which I believe the scriptures demand. But it is a false distinction and an unnecessary conclusion that has absolutely no explicit biblical basis whatsoever. That is why, my friend, if you are serious and you are honest, uh, 
once the pre-trib position lost the support of Revelation 3.10, it no longer has an explicit biblical basis. You cannot turn to a single passage of scripture and say that it clearly and unambiguously supports a pre-trib rapture in an explicit way or even an implied way. For all positions maintain that the church is promised exemption from the eschatological wrath of God. Pre-tribbers, mid-tribbers, and post-tribbers alike all believe that. And so that is in and of itself not an explicit basis for a pre-trib rapture. The rapture does not have to be pre-trib in order for that promise to be maintained. This is very important. God is able to fulfill his promise to keep his church away from his wrath while at the same time not required to rapture the church before the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Clearly the 70th week of Daniel is a part of the age of Gentile domination over the Jewish people. As God promised in Daniel 9, and repeats in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, there is nothing that requires the evacuation of the church off of the earth, but the coming of the wrath of God. Therefore, the critical, the most important point, is the determination of when does the actual eschatological wrath of God begin. When does it begin? If we can pinpoint that, then one can clearly establish when the rapture, or about when the rapture, must occur. And this is extremely important. And much writing is done and will be done to demonstrate that the timing of the beginning of God's eschatological wrath in connection with the seventh week of Daniel does not require a rapture of the church prior to the beginning of Daniel's seventieth week. In fact, the first three and a half years there is no outpouring of God's wrath and therefore there is no biblically required reason that the church has to be raptured before the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. In fact, we can show biblically and explicitly the wrath of God comes only after the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist has been unleashed on the earth beginning at the middle of Daniel's 70th week. So for a position to be touted as so strongly biblical 
as many pre-tribulationalists do, the fact of the matter is the position has no explicit biblical basis whatsoever. The truth of the mid-trib position is that it recognizes that there is a fundamental distinction between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan and Antichrist during that final seven-year period. The Mitri position also maintains that the church is exempted from the wrath of God. Mitribbers make a fundamental distinction in the nature of the 70th week of Daniel that is different from that of the pre-trib position. Gleason Archer indicates two sources of wrath during the 70th week. When speaking of the wrath issue, he writes, quote, It simply regards the first three and a half years during which the Antichrist will increase his power and mount his persecution against the church as a less tribulation, not nearly as terrifying or destructive of life as those fearsome plagues that will dominate the last three and a half years. In other words, this interpretation makes a clear division between the first half as the period of the wrath of man and the second half as the period of the wrath of God. For the reasons adduced, we understand that the final generation of the pre-rapture church will be subject to the wrath of man, but spared from the wrath of God. Close quote. We agree with Archer in that a distinction must be maintained between the wrath of Antichrist, which is man, and the wrath of God. But like the pre-trip position, the great multitude which no man could number who come up out of the great tribulation mentioned in Revelation 7 would still become martyrs at the hand of God if the second half of Daniel's 70th week is said to be all the wrath of God. The pre-trip position and the mid-trip position are both flawed or have a serious error in that it assigns the second three and a half years of the 70th week as the wrath of God. Gleason Archer errors because he misunderstands that the first three and a half years is not to be equal to what is called the quote-unquote Great Tribulation. All or most biblical students recognize that it is the second three and a half years where Satan and his Antichrist stop temple worship and seek to dominate the world. Clearly, Matthew chapter 24 demonstrates that the first part of the final period of human history as we know it 
will be marked by wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, but these things were said to be of no concern to the Lord's followers, only the beginning of being killed and murdered at the second half was to be a cause for concern. Daniel 9.27 indicates three and a half years of tranquility for Israel, followed by three and a half years of intense persecution at the hands of the prince who is to come. Now, New Testament scriptures emphasize that Satan, the beast, and the false prophet will execute a reign of terror against the people of God during the second half, 42 months of the 70th week. And Revelation chapter 12, verses 12 to 14 explains that this final three and a half years of persecution is, in fact, Satan's wrath. More specifically, Satan will give his power to Antichrist, who will persecute the people of God. Given the intensity and level of Satan Antichrist persecution, it would be hard to understand how God alone will be magnified when his wrath begins if Satan Antichrist is permitted to persecute and kill the children of God at the same time. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12 through 17 seems to indicate that when God's wrath begins upon the earth, beginning with the trumpet judgments, and Revelation 15.1 explains that the bold judgments are the end of his wrath, that once God's wrath begins, there will be little opportunity for Satan and his antichrist to receive glory when the vicious and overpowering wrath of God falls upon the earth. As we said earlier, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 through 22 seems to indicate that once the wrath of God begins, nothing and no one will be exalted but the Lord alone when he begins his day of the Lord wrath against the earth. It is clearly the wrath of God that brings Satan Antichrist's wrath to an end. Therefore, the wrath of Antichrist and the wrath of God will both be evident during the second half of Daniel's 70th week, but they cannot occur at the same time. This, in part, contradicts the mid-tribbers who insist that only God's wrath will be incurred during the second half of Daniel's 70th week. It is therefore in my understanding that the distinction between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan is a critical pillar of the doctrine of the rapture of the church. The pre-trip position has no solid basis whatsoever. The mid-trib has a leg to stand on the distinction between God's wrath and the wrath of man. Let me also say at this point that the Mitra position seems, in our opinion, to clearly and unequivocally contradict 
the Lord's statement that no man knows the hour or day of his return. It would seem to me to have been rather easy and obvious for the Lord to have said, the my return or this return of the Son of Man will occur between the first and second half of Daniel's 70th week. Matthew chapter 24 verse 15 is clear that the Lord was very much aware of the Daniel prophecy for he uses it as a key marker for the beginning of the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist, a time when those who live in Judea and Jerusalem must flee to the mountains. Therefore, it is inconceivable that that very day when men and women ought to be fleeing to the hills to hide is also the very day when the rapture is supposed to occur. To me, that is an obvious contradiction. And according to our understanding of God's word, there can be no contradictions. The mid-trip position has a difficult task in trying to overcome the clear and, and, and unambiguous statement of our Lord that no man knows the day or the hour, nor the angels, nor man on earth, not even the Son of Man, at the time that our Lord spoke those words to Peter, James, John, and Andrew on the mount. Therefore, we must reject the mid-trip position because it has a clear contradiction. The post-trip position adds to the debate the notion that the rapture will occur after the Great Tribulation. Like the mid-trip position, post-tribbers recognize the involvement of both the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan during Daniel's 70th week. However, post-tribulationalism offers a different explanation for the order of events and the timing of the rapture. Dr. Douglas Moo explains that the Great Tribulation will be the persecution of the saints by Antichrist and will continue for a large portion of the second half of the 70th week. The wrath of God will be concentrated in the very last part of the week. The wrath of God is limited to the eschatological day of the Lord, which Dr. Mu argues is, quote, a decisive intervention of God for judgment and deliverance, close quote. Since the eschatological day of the Lord involves both the judgment of God and the deliverance of his people, post-tribbers argue that the eschatological day of the Lord and the great tribulation cannot be the same event. This is a correct conclusion. 
Dr. Moo writes, quote, several factors suggest that it is not. First, no reference to the eschatological day in the New Testament clearly includes a description of the tribulation. Second, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, the coming of Elijah, and Joel chapter 2 verse 30 and 31, the cosmic potence, place what are generally agreed to be tribulational events before the day that is the day of the Lord. And third, Paul seems to suggest in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that the day, the day of the Lord, cannot come until certain clearly tribulational events transpired, close quote. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 indicates that the man of lawlessness is revealed before the day of the Lord begins. Therefore, post-tribbles contend that the eschatological day of the Lord follows the period called the Great Tribulation that occurs at the beginning of the second half of the 70th week. Since Paul teaches that the coming parousia of Christ ends the reign of the man of lawlessness, the parousia must occur at the very end of the 70th week, i.e. it is post-tribulational. Again, Dr. Moo writes, quote, the parousia is indisputably post-tribulational in Matthew chapter 24 verses 3, 27, 37, and 39, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. On the other hand, the parousia of Christ is explicitly stated to be an object of the believer's expectations in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9, chapter 3 verse 13, James chapter 5 verse 7 through 8, and 1 John chapter 2 verse 28. If then believers are exhorted to look forward to the coming of Christ and this coming is presented as post-tribulational, it is natural to conclude that believers will be present through the tribulation. Close quote. If we continue our chair illustration, post-tribulationalism is or has two very solid legs to stand on. Like the first two positions, post-tribbles hold to the church, church's exemption from the eschatological wrath of God. This is the basis or seat of our chair illustration. Like the mid-tribbers, the seventh week of Daniel will evidence both the wrath of God and the wrath of Antichrist. Thirdly, and differently from the other two positions, the eschatological day of the Lord and the Great Tribulation do not cover the same time period during the second half of Daniel's 70th week. But the day of God's wrath follows the time of Antichrist's tribulation. It is the pre-wrath position that I believe adds the third and most important leg uh, to our illustration that makes the chair solid 
to stand on. The flaw of the post-trip position is in its timing of the rapture. By placing it at the end of the seventh week, there is insufficient time allowed for the trumpet and bold judgments to occur sequentially, as I believe the book of Revelation demands. Also, the Bema Seat judgment that occurs before the, ju- the bold judgment, the battle of Armageddon, and the salvation of Israel's remnant, and some Gentile converts to populate the millennial kingdom all suffer damage if the rapture is placed at the very end of the Great Tribulation with no time between it and the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Another flaw of the post-trip position states that believers will not be removed from the earth during the eschatological wrath of God, but rather that they will be protected from it as if under a big umbrella. The rather fancy attempt by Dr. Robert H. Gundry to explain how God's people can be protected if God's judgment is selective does not measure up to biblical scrutiny. Post-tribal's continual insistence that believers will be caught up to heaven and immediately return to earth cannot be harmonized without serious problems in sequencing as outlined in the book of Revelation. The correct position must allow sufficient time between the rapture and the second advent. Dr. Paul Feinberg outlines this necessity when he writes, quote, To begin with, it is important to see the need for saints in non-glorified physical bodies. While the millennium will see the radical reduction of evil and the flourishing of righteousness, sin will still exist. There will be sickness and death, according to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. All of these are not usually thought of as part of the life of those who have been glorified, close quote. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 45 indicates that only believers will enter the millennial kingdom. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 18 to 25 clearly indicate that Gentiles along with Jews will populate the millennial kingdom in non-glorified bodies. Since the fully glorified do not sin, and some earthly kingdom constituents will sin, the rapture must have an interval between it and the coming of Christ at the Battle of Armageddon to allow for the salvation of those unglorified people who will populate the Millennial Kingdom. While it is certainly true that God has in the past protected His people in the midst of judgment, Scripture indicates a different type of protection in the last days. As in the days of Noah, 
as in the days of Lot. What I hope is clear is that you, the listener, clearly understand that the post-trip position has a fundamental flaw. It has a contradiction. It insists that the rapture will occur at the very end of the 70th week of Daniel, a period that is described as the Great Tribulation, and that it will involve the evacuation of the saints up in the air to meet Christ, and then they will come immediately back down to the earth. Now, since the scriptures teach that the evacuation of the saints off the earth will immediately result in them receiving glorified bodies, that they will pull off mortal and put on immortality, removes those individuals from any possibility of either sinning or having babies. Thus, if all the saints are caught up in the air, that automatically means that the only people left on the earth are sinners or unbelievers. In the illustration of the sheep and goat judgment, if all the sheep are caught up in the air, then the only thing left on the earth are the goats. Then why would God evacuate the sheep in the air, leaving only goats on the earth, and then bring the sheep back down to earth, only to have to separate the sheep and the goats again, uh, resulting in all the sheep being glorified, all the goats cast into the fire, thus nothing or no one left on the earth. But clearly the Old Testament demands that people must enter the millennial kingdom in earthly bodies because there will be babies born. This is a major contradiction for the post-trib position, which, by the way, they recognize and they admit that they do not have a satisfactory answer for this particular problem. The reason they don't have a satisfactory answer is because it is a contradiction of the scriptures and it simply cannot be harmonized. The pre-wrath position harmonizes all three positions because it adopts the strengths of the three positions, synthesizes them, or joins them together, and thus answering the question of when Will the church be evacuated off the earth during the final period of human history as we know it? We took 
the fact that there is a distinction between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan. We took the fact that the great tribulation is the wrath of Satan, but the great day of the Lord is the wrath of God, and the two are not equal and will not occur at the same time. And we took the fact that scripture clearly teaches that God's people will be on the earth during the great tribulation. Now the question is, how can you harmonize those three solid biblical components, but at the same time have a rapture before the wrath of God, before the end of the 70th week, allowing sufficient time for people to be saved after the rapture, who will be delivered and who will then populate the millennial kingdom in earthly bodies. How can all of those things be harmonized in a way that's biblical, that's solidly scriptural, that can be explicitly pointed to in the text and at the same time erase or eradicate contradictions. That will be our topic the next time.